Well, we're in the midst of a series that we started a few weeks ago that we're calling Dangerous Prayers. And we began uh, our first week with a prayer that Jesus actually prayed right before he went to the cross. He was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed this prayer. He prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And uh, uh, along with with, uh, these prayers we've been looking at, we've also been issuing a challenge uh, that goes along with these dangerous prayers, and that is let's begin to pray these prayers and see what happens in our life. And so we issued the challenge the very first week, and I know uh, many of you took me up on that and have been praying that prayer, not my will, but your will. I've heard a few stories, and several of you are nodding your heads. And so this is a great prayer for us to pray, and in order to pray any of the other dangerous prayers that, that come next, we have to pray this one first. Because if we're not willing to lay down our will for God's will, then we can't pray into the other ones. And of course, uh, in week two, we added our second dangerous prayer. It's just two words long, and that was the prayer, search me. In other words, God, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you in to search my heart, search my life. And if there's anything that you find in me that is contrary to what you want... Contrary to your will, anything that's not pleasing to you, reveal it to me as you search me so we can deal with it. So that's what we talked about last week. We're, we're ready for prayer three this morning, and I probably ought to just tell you this up front before we get any further into this, that this prayer this morning that we're going to look at is probably one of the most difficult, perplexing prayers that I'm going to ask you to pray the entire series. It's not, it's, it's not a feel-good kind of prayer. In fact, this is a prayer that totally kind of flies in the face of the whole God is only about making your life more comfortable, more easy, you know, the, he just wants everything to be sunshine and roses kind of Christianity that sometimes we have a tendency to buy into. This prayer totally flies in the face of that version of Christianity. And to be honest... Um, this is not a very popular prayer to pray. In fact, uh, as I was thinking about this this past week and preparing for this morning, um, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to my heart and said, Doug, you better understand going into this, probably more people will not pray this prayer than are willing to pray it. It's just going to be one of those types of prayers. Because this is not a prayer that is guaranteed to make your life more comfortable or easier but, but here's what it will do. If you're willing to pray this honestly, what it will do is this is a prayer that will open your heart up to a work of God in, in such a way that it could forever change who you are as a follower of Jesus. And that's really what we, we kind of all signed up for, right? The reason that we were attracted to Christ was not only that he could forgive us of our sins, but it's about life transformation, right? That, that we want God to continue to transform us to make us more like his son Jesus. And so this is a prayer that could change your life and, and could do that for you. So our prayer this morning is another two-word prayer. It's simple but hard. It's simple because it's two words. It's complex. It's hard because of all that those two words entail. Our prayer this morning is the simple prayer of break me. God, would you, would you break me? In, in order to give us a little clarity this morning um, on what really what this prayer is all about, what we're going to do is I want to look at two stories 
that I think will help us unpack where I believe God wants to lead us this morning. And both of these stories happen to be in the book of Mark, and they're both in the same chapter, Mark chapter 14. And it's interesting because Mark actually tells these two stories. On the surface, it may seem like they're unrelated, but Mark tells these two stories back to back, and I think we'll discover why he does that in just a moment. The first story that Mark gives us is a story that deals with a woman who was a prostitute. Now, before we jump into this particular story, I want to just set things up a little bit because I think it's important that we go into it with a clear understanding of what this woman's life was probably like. I want you to think about this, but as I've thought about this in my preparation, you know, the thought came to me that um, nobody ever probably has as one of their life goals, you know, someday I want to grow up to be a prostitute. That's probably never been anybody's life goal ever. I mean, nobody as a child ever dreams, you know what, my life goal is someday I want to be one of the top prostitutes in the city. Nobody would ever dream that, right? In fact, the only way that anyone would ever resort to prostitution is because that life somehow, in some way, has become so difficult that they feel like I have no other options. This is my only option. We all understand this, right? Nobody enters into this lifestyle by choice. Now, Scripture does not tell us the events that led this particular woman to the place where she was. You know, who knows? As we think about it, who knows? Maybe this particular woman, uh, she was a single mom and she had no other way of, of, of taking care of her children or paying the bill, bills than, than by prostituting herself out. Or, you know, maybe for her, like, like many children, even in the world that we live in today, maybe she had been abandoned or sold into the sex industry. We don't know what the circumstances are, but while we may not know the reason, one thing that we do know is that this would have been a woman, especially in Jesus' day, who would have been hated, who would have been full of shame. This was a woman who would have been despised by all of the other women in the community. This was a woman whose life was all about being used like an object and then being tossed aside. This would have been her life, day after day after day. Talk about no hope. Until one day. One day, this guy named Jesus comes to town, and suddenly, when Jesus enters into the picture, everything changes. Aren't you glad that whenever Jesus shows up, no matter what the circumstances of our life is, he changes things? And so Jesus shows up, and when this woman encounters Jesus, she experiences someone that probably for the very first time in her life treats her differently than everybody else treated her. For the very first time in her life, she's treated with compassion rather than contempt. For, for the very first time in her life, she experiences when somebody looks her in the eye, they look with love and compassion rather than disgust. For, for the very first time, at least in maybe a long time, she experienced someone who treats her not as an object to be used, but rather a human being who has value. And this experience that this woman has with Jesus, it so transforms her that that all she wants to do is be in his presence. 
You, you know, it's something, it's something about how attractive love is, right? I mean, genuine love. We're all attracted to love. Love always wins. Every single one of us, we're attracted to love. And this is the case for this woman. For the first time in her life, she experiences genuine love, and so she's attracted to it, and all she wants to do is be in the presence of Jesus. All she wants to do is worship him in the most sacrificial way that she can think of. The problem is that her extravagant act of worship is so extreme that it completely messes with everybody else. Her act of worship is so extreme that it just totally freaks everybody out. So let's pick up our story here. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 3, and it says this. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. Now, I want to pause there for just a second. Mark tells us that Jesus is in the home of Simon the what? Good. Just want to make sure you're still awake. Simon the leper. Now, remember, lepers are another group of people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. Lepers were another group of people that whenever they were walking down the street, everybody else walked on the other side of the street. But these are the people that Jesus always hung out with. He always showed care to people that nobody else showed care or value. And so here Jesus is, a rabbi, in the home of a leper with a prostitute. Sounds like kind of a bad joke, right? You know, a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute go into a bar. And I don't know the, 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 the punchline to that. But, but anyway, here they are. And they're in this house sharing a meal. And, and this woman takes this jar of expensive perfume and we find out later in John's gospel that this perfume was actually worth an entire year's wages. So I want you to imagine this. Think about, think about right now what you make in a year, and can you imagine spending that on a jar of perfume? I mean, this was a valuable, valuable jar of perfume. And, and in these days, perfume was so valuable because it was hard to come by. In fact, I, I did some research on this, and this, this nard, it's also known as spike nard, and it's only harvested from a plant that grows up in the Himalayas. And so this is hard to come by. Perfume was very rare. In fact, normal women didn't wear perfume because they couldn't afford it. In fact, the only people who wore perfume were, first of all, the very wealthy and prostitutes. You see, for a prostitute, perfume was kind of like her calling card. When a man came walking by and he smelled perfume on a woman, he would know, okay, you're open for business, you're available. And so this was her calling card. And so perfume, not only was it rare and expensive, really this perfume, what it represented was, it represented this woman's potential for future income. It was the investment that she had made in her business in order to earn an income to be able to support herself and if she had any children or anything like that. And so let's read on. Mark says that she took this expensive perfume and she broke the jar and then she poured that perfume on Jesus' head. Now, I want you to take note of what she did. Mark says she broke it and she poured it. She broke it and she poured it. I want you to hold on to that language. It's going to be very important this morning. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But she broke it 
and she poured it. Now, Mark tells us that there, are some, there were some other people there, some followers of Jesus, who saw what this woman did, and they freaked out over the whole thing. I mean, they were like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, why, why would you take and waste this expensive perfume? I mean, if you didn't want it, why didn't you give it to us? And we could have sold it, and we could have used it for something like helping the poor, you know? I mean, why would you do this? And when we read that story, we may have a tendency to judge those people because we know the rest of the story. Most of us know the rest of the story. But let's be honest. If you or I, if we would have been there, we probably would have reacted in the same way. I mean, we, we probably would have imagined, imagined that if this week, um, as, as somebody came in, I was studying this past week, and I wondered, what is the most expensive perfume in our day today? And so I, I, I looked it up, and what I found was is that there's actually a perfume called DKNY that sells for a million dollars an ounce. Anybody got any of that? No? Nobody's got any? All right, be a, husbands, be a great Christmas gift for your wives. But it sells DKNY, which supposedly is this perfume designer that sells for a million dollars an ounce. And can you imagine that if somebody walked into our service today, they took a bottle, an ounce of that DKNY, and they broke it open and they poured it all out. All of us in here would be going, what in the world are you thinking? I mean, if you didn't want it, why, didn't you, why don't you give it to us? Because we could sell it and we could use the money to build a youth center. I mean, if you didn't want that, why didn't you give it to us and we could use the money to expand our women's restroom so there's more than two stalls in there? And all the ladies, yeah, all the ladies said, amen. So we would have, we would have probably done the same thing. They, they just couldn't wrap their heads around what she was doing. The only one who understood was Jesus. You know, love will drive us to do crazy things, right? Right? I mentioned a minute ago that love is irresistible. Real, genuine, true love is irresistible. But it will drive us to do crazy things. You see, when this woman broke that bottle of expensive perfume and she poured it out on Jesus, what she was doing was she was making a statement. And the statement that she was making, she was saying, Jesus, I love you so much. Jesus, after all that you've done for me, after the way that you've treated me, after the way that you've changed the, who, who I am, I love you so much. I just want to pour out my whole life for you. I just want to take all that I am and I want to pour it out for you. And so Jesus, this is the most valuable possession I have. And this possession that I have, it's more than just valuable to me because of its monetary value, but this represents my entire past. It's how I provided for myself, and it also represents my future. It represents, it, it represents my hope for the future, how I'm going to provide for myself in the future. And in other words, this woman was saying, because of you, Jesus, I have decided to leave my past life behind, and I am giving you my future. All that I am is yours. This represents my livelihood. And so when this woman, she took that perfume and she broke it and she poured it all out on Jesus, this has to be one of the most selfless, extravagant moments of worship that is ever recorded in all of Scripture. 
broken and poured. Broken and poured. That's the first story. Mark immediately goes into a second story, same book, same chapter. Jesus is sharing another meal. Uh, you know, Jesus is my kind of guy because a lot of the activity happens around meals. And so he would have gone to Pastor Justin and Abby's connect group because there would have been a meal there. But uh, Jesus is sharing another meal. This time, it's his last meal that he'll have with his disciples. And Jesus knows that in just a, a few hours, he's going to be arrested Jesus knows that in a few hours he's going to be beaten. Jesus knows that eventually he's going to be hung on a cross to die. And so Jesus gathers his closest friends around him. And this is how Mark tells the story. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread. He blessed it. And then watch what he does. Mark says, then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, for this is my body. Verse 23, Mark says, Then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, to his disciples, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And then again, notice the language he uses here. He says, It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I think this is really interesting. That Mark chooses to use the exact same language in both of these stories. Two very different stories, but Mark uses the same language. First of all, he says the woman's perfume is broken and poured as an act of worship. And then he says, Jesus says, my body is going to be broken. My blood is going to be poured out for you. Broken and poured. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to jump over to Luke chapter 22, because Luke tells us the very same story, but he includes a very small detail that Mark does not include in his story. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Luke tells us the, the, basically the same thing. He says that Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and here it, again, here it is again. He says, he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given to you. But here's what I want you to take note of. Luke tells us what Mark doesn't. He says that, that Jesus then goes on to say, do this in remembrance of me. Some versions say, uh, or, or this is do it... Do this to remember me. Some versions say do this in remembrance of me. Now, this, this is obviously a very familiar passage of Scripture. And typically when we think about it, when we talk about it, when preachers preach about it, we, we talk about it in terms of as followers of Jesus, whenever we participate in the Lord's Supper, whenever we receive communion, whenever we receive the Eucharist, bread and the wine as an act of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. For us. Do this Partake of this in remembrance of me. And I do believe that that's what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me. However, what if? What if Jesus' words meant more than just, I want you to remember every once in a while when you do the ritual, when you receive the cup and the bread, in that time only, I want you to remember that my life was broken and poured out for you. Think about this. What if 
Jesus, what he was really saying when he said, do this, what if what he was really saying was, rather than just participating in a ritual every once in a while, which I want you to do the ritual, we need to do the ritual, we call that a sacrament, there's a means of grace that is dispensed upon us when we do that, so it's not that we don't want to do that, but what if what Jesus was saying was more than just whenever you do the ritual, what if he was saying, as my disciples, what I really want is I'm setting this example, and so now you go and do the same thing that I've done. You go and do what I'm getting ready to do. Allow your life to be broken and poured out just like I'm about to do. Allow your life to be broken and poured out just the way I've lived my entire life as you've watched me and followed me around. Allow your life to be broken and poured out. And do it in such a way, this is why it's so important, do it in such a way that by your allowing your life to be broken like mine, your life to be poured out like mine, it will provide freedom and salvation for the people who encounter you. I wonder if that's why Paul adopted the same language in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, I wonder what Paul was saying was, when I truly remember all that Jesus has done for me, how his body was broken for me, how his blood was poured out, how he gave everything he had because he loved me so much, when I remember all of that, how could I not do the same thing for his glory and for the sake of others? Listen, folks, this is not a message for the spiritually immature. I know that. This is not a message for the spiritually immature. But however, it is Christianity 101. I mean, this is the crux and the core of the gospel, that Jesus gave himself up for many, and he's called us to follow his example. That's what a disciple is. We just see what our teacher did, and we do the same thing. And so this is Christianity 101. And here's what I believe this morning. If allowed, God will always use our brokenness, the brokenness of our lives, to pour into other people. If we'll allow him to, he will use our brokenness to pour into the lives of other people. Let, let me give you just one personal example of what I'm talking about. And I know that the, probably the majority of you here this morning know Laura and my story, at least bits and pieces of it. And so for the sake of time, I'm not going to get deep into it. But for those of you who, who may not know, let me give you just a, a brief snapshot. Laura and I have, have two children. We have a daughter, Sigrid, who lives in Kearney, and she's been here several times and, and has been able to visit with us, and so many of you have met her. Um, but we also have a 22-year-old son, Noah, whom none of you have had the privilege of meeting. And, and the reason why is because our son, Noah, is currently incarcerated in the state of Kansas. And, and, and his story, you know, again, I'm not going to go in deep in it, but like a number of kids as a young teenager... In an attempt to fit in, he began experimenting with drugs and, and alcohol. And, and he was totally unaware of what kind of a hold they would eventually have. And our family has a long history of addiction, and he, he, he didn't have a concept of that. And, and they wound up taking control over his life to the point, as often happens in these situations, he wound up getting in trouble with the law. And so now he's on the last year or entering the last year of a prison sentence in Kansas. 
Now, I share all that with you, and that is obviously a very, very, very abbreviated version of a very long and a very painful, a very broken story for not only him, but for us as well, and actually our entire family. And actually, it's an ongoing story. And and the reason I share that with you is because I remember when the wheels began to fall off for us and for our family. And Laura and I were living back in Kansas, and we were part of a wonderful church. And um, we led a small group, and the small group we led, you know, it was nice. It, It really was. It was a nice group full of nice people. It was nice. And even though we all liked each other, at the time, our relationships consisted mostly of, you know, we would see each other on Sunday, we would say hello, and then we would meet on Sunday nights, and we would do a little Bible study, but our conversations mostly were pretty superficial, you know? Hey, did you watch the Chiefs game today? We lived in Kansas City, so the Chiefs were a big thing, you know? So did you watch the Chiefs game today, or did you go hunting this week, or did you play golf, or how was work? And, and so they, they were very superficial, didn't get much deeper than that. That was the extent of the group. And then we would spend our hour, hour and a half together. We would leave, and we would just go live our separate lives until we saw each other next week. But when the wheels began to fall off for Laura and I, there was something that shifted. And it shifted not only for us, I mean, we, for us, we, we kind of got caught up in this storm and we had no clue what to do. There were, there were so many things that we struggled with beyond the obvious. I mean, I mean we, we struggled with the embarrassment. We, we struggled with, we're horrible parents. We must have blown it somewhere along the line. I struggled with, you've got no business being a pastor. How can you minister to anybody else when this is going on in your own life? And so there were so many things that we struggled with. And we got to this point where we had exhausted everything that we knew to do. And to be honest, we were just, we, we just became desperate and broken. We were desperate and broken. And, and, and as a part of the reality that we were living in in that time, we had this choice either... We could try and hide what was going on in our lives, you know. We could try and put on a happy face. We could white-knuckle it. We could walk in and we could say, how about those chiefs? And we had a great week this week. And we could, we could white-knuckle it on our own. Or we could decide to be vulnerable. We could decide to take a risk. We could actually invite the group into the chaos that was taking place in our lives at the time and give them the opportunity to love us and support us the best way that they knew. Which ultimately is what we chose to do, and I'm so thankful for that. Now the reason that I I want to share that with you is because there was something that happened as a result of that choice. Something that really, honestly, was kind of unexpected, I think, for us all, but you know, for Laura and I, we were just hurting and needing love, but, but God, what he wound up doing, you know, God is so much bigger. And what God wound up doing was he wound up using our brokenness as a catalyst to transform our entire little group. He really did. I mean, suddenly we became transformed from this group who just met together once a week And as God began to change us and transform us, as this brokenness was exposed, he transformed us into a true reflection of what the church was supposed to be. (laughs) 
I mean, we, we, we spent hours and hours and hours crying together. Not all at one time, because that would have been a long time crying, but and we did. I mean, we cried together. We spent hours praying together. We, we began sharing meals with each other. We started hanging out in each other's homes. We, 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 we worked in each other's yards. We, we just wanted to be together. We, we, we started to become more sensitive, not only to each other, but to people who are around us who were hurting. And so we started going together and finding ways. How could we serve them? How could we minister to them? And God actually took and he used our brokenness to help transform us, not just us, but our entire group into a reflection of what, that, what the church is supposed to be. And I'm telling you, it is so powerful to the point that outside of our own biological family, those relationships remain to this day some of the tightest, closest, most valuable relationships that we have on this planet. In fact, um, several of those couples have come and visited us here. In fact, one, one time the entire group came, and so they really helped us with our attendance that week because they were all here. Next, next weekend, one of those couples is going to come spend time with us again, and uh, we're, Glenn and I are going to play together in the golf tournament. But those relationships became so valuable to us, and they remain valuable to us. Here's the point. There's something that happened. God does something when we enter into each other's brokenness that cannot happen in any other setting. That there's something that happens when we just become broken together. Not by ourselves, but when we become broken together. And, and I've said this before, but we may impress people with our strengths. I mean, our strengths may be impressive, but we connect through our weaknesses. We may impress each other with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. For the sake of this morning, let me say it like this. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect most deeply through our brokenness. I mean, think about this. It's the truth. And we, we may impress people with our strengths, but let's just be honest. Sometimes people's strengths intimidate us and push us away rather than draw us in. I mean, I mean, come on. Have you, ever, have you ever encountered somebody who it just seems like they got everything going on, you see their strengths, and they're so awesome, and you're like, I hate her. <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems like she's perfect, and she's great at this, and wonderful at this, and probably has no problems in her life, and mine's falling apart, and I hate her. And then you find out that her life's not that perfect, and she's got an issue in her life. And you discover, you know, oh, wow, she deals with anxiety, too. Oh, wow, sometimes she fights depression, too. And all of a sudden, it's not I hate her. I think I love her, you know. Notice I use her in that because guys never do that. <laughs> Just kidding. But, but our strengths sometimes push us away. And so we may impress people with our strengths, but how we really connect is through our brokenness. I love what Dr. Henry Cloud says in his book, How People Grow. Listen to what he says. He says, I tell people that God put our tear ducts in our eyes for a reason. Think about this. When God was creating us, he could have put our tear ducts anywhere, right? I mean, think about if he would have put them in our ears. Somebody go, I think you're crying. And you're like, no, I'm not. 
mean, God put our tear ducts in our eyes for a reason. The reason is, Cloud says, because pain is an experience that is intended to be shared eye to eye with another person. I love that. Pain is an experience that is intended to be shared eye to eye with another person. Now, now, as we talk about this and as we talk about brokenness, we have to remember that our pain is, is intended to be experienced and other people are intended to be let into it. That, that God knew. In other words, the reason he put these uh, tear ducts in our eyes is because God knew that we would need people to connect with us in our most broken moments. And as we think about being broken, just to make you feel a little bit better, what I'm talking about this morning is I'm talking more than just about one moment in time where we're broken. What I'm talking about ultimately is this ongoing breaking as God not only breaks us of our sinfulness, but he teaches us something very important that through our brokenness, he teaches us continually what it looks like to depend upon him. Because let's just admit it, when we got things going on, we have a tendency to forget about God. But boy, I'll tell you what, when the rubber hits the road, when that, when that diagnosis comes, when our finances crash, when that person betrays us, it is in those moments that we recognize, God, I need you. We're talking about dependence upon God. And again, speaking from personal experience, you probably won't understand it at the time. But what I've discovered is that life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Isn't that awesome? Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. And again, I, I understand this, what we're talking about this morning, this is not elementary teaching here. And it's taken me a long, long time to understand this. But if you look through Scripture over and over and over again, I mean, think about the key figures of Scripture. This is proven to be true over and over and over again. Think about, let me give you just one example. Think about the life of Peter. Y'all know Peter, right? Peter is the guy who he says to Jesus, Jesus, I love you more than anybody else, and if anybody else fails you, you can count on me. I mean, you can trust me. I got your back. Everybody else may fail you, but not me, Jesus. I'm here for you. I mean, I would go to the grave for you. I would take a sword for you. I would do whatever you want me to do. And with 24 hours, within 24 hours of saying that, Peter denies Christ three times in his darkest need, right? And the last time that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus is there. And Scripture says that they connect eyes and they see each other. As, P, as Peter is denying Christ. And I believe that in that moment, Peter is completely broken. When faced with his own failure, and think about this, Peter never got the opportunity to come to Jesus before Jesus is crucified and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I let you down. He failed Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus is buried. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. I have, where there's been a break in a relationship, and before you can restore it, before you can make it better, that person dies, and you never have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. It's horrible. 
And Peter goes through this experience. Thankful, thankfully for Peter, you know the end of the story, is that Jesus is raised from the dead. He encounters Peter. He restores Peter. And more than that, what he does is he says, Peter, you're going to be one of the leaders of the church. Not only am I going to restore you, you're going to be the rock on which I build this church upon. And then Peter is the guy who is chosen to preach the message on Pentecost Sunday. And like 3,000 people get born again by one message that Peter preaches. Come on, tell me if God does not use greatly people who are broken the most. Peter was a broken man, and God used him. You see, God, God uses those greatly who have been broken greatly. We say this all the time, but it really is true. God never wastes a hurt. We might, but he won't. As we talk about this this morning, I would bet that there are probably some here, maybe somebody watching online, And you know this better than me. You know this truth better than me. In fact, there are some of you here who could preach this sermon better than I can. Maybe for some of you, you came in this morning, you turned on your computer, you opened your smartphone, and you're in the middle of it. Maybe for some of you, you're not in the middle, you wish you were because it'd be further down the line, you're in the front end of it. You know, you find yourself at this place where you're breaking, and it seems like everything is crumbling around you, and you're just trying to figure out, how can I keep all this together? Listen, if that's you this morning, can I, can I just give you this little piece of advice? This is the best advice I could give you. Just go ahead and break. That, that's the best advice I could give is just, just, just go ahead and, and break. Just break like I'm broke and say, God, I am desperate. I need you. And, and I need your people too. I can't do this on my own. And so I need you. You, you, see, you see, when we get broken, all of a sudden, all the games fly out the window. When we get desperate, all of the games fly out the window. When it's a life or death situation, then all of a sudden, we stop caring what everybody else thinks. When we're really broken, all that matters is, I just need you, Jesus. And, and can I just tell you, in that moment, when you get to that moment, and here I just want to be encouragement to you. If you're not there, you will be. Because life has a way of giving it to us all. <laughs> but when you get to that moment, you're going to have a choice to make. Either, either you can run as hard as you can to God, or unfortunately some people run as hard as they can away from God. And so the best advice that I could give is just go ahead and break wide open fully dependent upon God, and then allow him to put people around you, allow him to do a healing work in you, which we're going to talk more about that next week, but allow him to do a healing work in you that only he can do. Sometimes we forget that what the gospel is really 
is it simply an invitation to come and die? We forget that sometimes. That, that we, we forget that the gospel is just an invitation for us to come and die. And because, because I'm afraid we've watered it down, we forget that the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus modeled, was all about you got to die to yourself so that I can live in you. you got to die to yourself so that I can live through you. You see, when, when that woman broke open her jar, when she poured it all out, that act was her simply saying, Jesus, my life is broken, and I recognize that. I recognize how broken I am, but I am giving everything that I am to you. Because I believe that you're a God who takes broken pieces, and you put them together, and you create this tapestry that is beyond anything that I could think of or imagine. Broken and poured. And then when Jesus' body was broken, when, he, when it says that it was broken for us, when his blood was poured out so that our sins could be forgiven, Jesus said, the way that I want you to live your life is remember what I've done and do this. Don't just remember a ritual. Do the ritual. But, but do what I've done. Let your lives be broken. Let them be poured out so that you can serve me with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You, you see, folks, the whole reason that Jesus allowed himself to be broken and poured was so that you and I could become fully devoted followers of him. And here's the problem. This is the reality, and I know this is going to sound harsh, but many of us try and get by. We try and satisfy Jesus by being partially devoted followers of him. In other words, if it's, 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 not, the, it's not the thing we do. It's just a thing that we do. It's not the thing that we do. It's, 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 not, it's not the priority of my life. It's just a priority of my life. As long as I don't have something better going on. As long as there's not a better offer, as long as it's convenient, and we try and satisfy him by being followers of him, but only partially followers of him. And Jesus says, I won't settle for anything less than fully committed. You've got to die to yourself. And I become the priority, not a priority. Listen, and I say this out of love. If you ever find yourself at a point in your life where you understand, you know what, I'm, I, reality is I'm just kind of partially devoted to Jesus. Could I just encourage you to pray this very dangerous prayer and say, Jesus, would you break me? Would you break me so that I could be fully devoted to you? Whatever it takes, God, I want to know you intimately. Whatever it takes, God, I want to serve you faithfully. Whatever it takes, God, I, I want to trust you with all of my heart. And so do whatever it takes. Would you break me so that I could fully know you? I want to invite the band to come. And, and as they do, we're going to pray. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I ask 
that these next few moments would be moments where you do a significant work in each of our hearts. Holy Spirit, this morning I thank you because I, I know that you're moving. I sense it right now. You're moving right now. Jesus, we choose to trust you. This morning with nobody looking around, there may be some of you here this morning and you're like already, you know, like you're like crazy all in. I mean, you're already living this way. That you're accustomed to praying dangerous prayers like, God, break me, you know, whatever it takes, break me. If that's you, then I just want to say more power to you. Just keep going, keep, keep going full in. Just keep living that way. But what I, what I don't want this morning is I don't want the rest of us to walk away and say, you know what, well, I'm not quite there yet, so that wasn't for me this morning. <laughs> my, my prayer is that every single one of us would make at least some kind of movement in our lives. And so what I, what I want to do is I just want to offer an introductory version to this prayer of God, break me. And it goes like this. Just pick something in your life. You know, if, if you have been brave enough and if you were praying, search my heart, oh God, last week, show me if there's any offensive way in me. And, and maybe God has shown you something that shouldn't be there. That's a good thing. My encouragement to you would be just take that and make that your broken prayer. God, would you break me of that, God, whatever it is. God, would you break me of my pride? Would you break me of my anger? Would you break me of my self-sufficiency? Would you break me of my lust? Would you break me of my impatience? Would you, would you break me? Whatever it is, just start there. And when, when God breaks you of that, what you're going to see is on the other side of brokenness exists a blessing of God that is greater than you could ever imagine because life's greatest blessings are always followed by great breakings. And so have the courage to start there. And so this morning, whatever level you want to start, if you want to go all in and have you know, a no qualification, God, break me wide open. God, I trust you, whatever it is. I've been praying that. I'm going to continue to pray it. Or maybe this morning the Holy Spirit has brought you to that place where you want to pray it the first time. Or if there's something in your life that you're saying, God, I need you to break me of this. I know it's not pleasing to you, and I need you to break me of this. Whatever your dangerous prayer is, I want to invite you this morning, if you're courageous enough to pray that prayer, I want to pray over you. Would you just stand up right now? I don't do this very often, but just stand up. Be brave. If you want to say, God, I want you to break me. I want to live a life that's broken. I want to live a life that is broken and poured out. I want to live a life that's like you. God, I, I want to live a life where I'm not bound by this. There's this issue in my life, and I want to be broken. I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Father, this morning for those that are standing before you. Yeah, there's something that happens when we confess just where we're at in life. And our confession isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes we confess, man, I'm all in. That's my confession. I'm in. I want you to continue to break me. I want to continue to be used by you. I want you to pour my life out. I'm giving myself again. I'm standing as a testimony, Jesus, that, that I'm all in and you can do whatever you want with me. Pour me out for the sake of somebody else. Use, use my past hurts. Use my current broken situation. 
Take it, take what the enemy has intended for evil and use it for good to build your kingdom. God, I am all in. I'm yours. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would take all of those who pray that prayer and you would just answer it. I know that that's a prayer that you just long to answer. And then, Father, for those that are standing and saying, you know what, I don't know that I'm quite there yet. But there is this issue in my life that God has made me aware of. And I know that this particular issue is not pleasing to him. And I've tried on my own and it just exists. You know, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's, a, it's some bitterness that you haven't been able to let go of. And this morning, God, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, would you break me of that? By the power of your spirit, would you break the power that it's held over me so I can be the kind of person that you want me to be? This morning, Jesus, I believe that there's a whole bunch of people that are getting set free. Thank you for the way that you deliver us and you break us. Lord, thank you. I want to thank you for the ways you've done that in my life. You continue to do it. And so, Lord, today is about people getting set free. We thank you for that today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk whatever path you have before us, fully dependent upon you. Sometimes you use the brokenness in our lives so that we'll let go of all the other things that we hold on to that aren't ever going to provide us the hope that we need. This morning, we let go of all of those things, and we say, I'm just going to hold on to you, Jesus. I'm fully dependent upon you. I praise you, and you thank you. we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite everyone.